This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Focus Missionary Tyler Weber talks about where we are at in the greatest story ever told. What is the Prince of Lies trying to accomplish? What is the key ingredient in moving forward as a church? Well, let's find out. Tyler is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We'd like to welcome in this afternoon Tyler Weber. Tyler, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ken. It's it's good to hear from you. I'm actually watching the uh, the live stream on YouTube. George Toman told me there was a live stream, so I'm, as I'm looking at you in the, the little studio there, it brings back a lot of uh, memories, because fun fact, I was the very first employee for Divine Mercy Radio when it was, uh, I think, in its first or second year helping Donette out. So I know those walls, those carpeted walls very well. <laughs> I didn't realize that you were the first employee. I didn't know that. I, I think Donetta can confirm that. You'll have to look at her through the window. So <laughs> <laughs> she just walked by, but we'll have to check. We'll check that out. We'll check to corroborate your story here. Well, it's great to be able to talk to you again, Focus Missionary. I know you're. Uh, uh, maybe share a little bit of your history for folks who may not know who Tyler Weber is and uh, where you grew up, uh, a little bit of your faith life. And, of course, now you're in, in Wichita, Wichita State, but I'll let you share your story, if you would, a little bit before we get started. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give a, kind of the helicopter just uh, overview version. So it's nice to be talking to people uh, from western Kansas because when I throw out that I'm from Grainfield, Kansas, people know where that's at most exactly. likely along I-70, because I've, you know, the last couple of years I've lived in New Orleans, Oklahoma City, and now Wichita, and when I throw out Grainfield, there's absolutely uh, no reference point for that. So, yeah, like Andy, Father Andy Hamicky, I knew him when he was in college as Andy, but now I call him Father Andy Hamicky as well. Um, he was a couple years older than me, but yeah, I also went to Fort Hayes State University, and I graduated in 2013 with my degree in medical diagnostic imaging and you know i had two grandmas that thought i was a doctor i was not a doctor i just took the pictures so cat scans x-ray department etc so you know i think towards the latter part of my uh, college career my junior senior year i really got connected uh, with a lot of people at the como catholic campus center uh, under the leadership of father fred i actually lived in the campus center for my senior year of college, and um, it was really during that time that I discovered there was so much more to my life than the script I got handed from other people, and so, you know, spent really my senior year cultivating an interior life through uh, Eucharistic adoration. I was devouring just about every spiritual book you can imagine, Um, and that's actually when I started working at Divine Mercy Radio. So I just, I was really in an environment where things were starting to grow in my interior life and spiritual life. And I really think it's it's that first year out of college where I realized, wow, I mean, I I think I'm not so passionate working in a hospital. Um, And so, yeah, through through a series of circumstances, my first year out of college, as I was working at Hayes Medical Center, I, yeah, felt a call to, to drop the nets and join the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, where this is now my seventh year on staff, believe it or not, and I just want to take a moment now to just really, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank all the donors who are listening who, who even support me. Um, I have a lot of people who support me from the Hayes area, and they've been keeping me afloat these last seven years, and, and it has gone extremely, 
extremely fast. I can remember in the, it would have been the um, fall of 2014, I drove 18 hours from Hayes, Kansas to New Orleans, Louisiana for my first assignment at Tulane University. I spent three years there and then went off to the University of Oklahoma for a couple of years. And um, last year, I arrived on the beaches of Wichita State University, and I'm now at my second year there. So I I can say that my relationship with Jesus (laughs) and my passion for evangelization has done nothing but increase uh, in each one of those, those years since I joined Focus. Tyler Weber is our guest, and I knew you'd get to Oklahoma sooner or later. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we'll let that one go. Um, we're going to talk <laughs> a little bit about where we are at in the greatest story ever told. I'm, in, I'm intrigued by the title of the talk this afternoon, so let us uh, jump right in. Obviously, there's so much chaos and confusion going on in the world right now. Um, what do you? How do you stay grounded and make sense of things? I mean, what do you do uh, to keep you grounded? Obviously, you know, um, I think I might know some of the answers, but I'm going to let you share your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, well, how about let's just throw this out there. I listen to Divine Mercy Radio every day of my life. Um, I'm joking. I, I wish I had the time for that. But, um, yeah, definitely uh, I would say how I stay grounded. I, I'm going to throw out a phrase, uh, Ken, and I'm actually going to ask you a question. What comes to mind— for you, when I say the phrase, once upon a time, what do you think of? The start of a story that you're going to tell. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so once upon a time, that is really how I myself stay grounded. Um, so once upon a time obviously relates to the beginning of, of fairy tales and stories. And I think, um, yeah, you're absolutely right when you said chaos and confusion, not only in the world, but just in our personal lives. You know, I'm reminded actually of the story of uh, Saving Private Ryan, when Tom Hanks lands on Omaha Beach at the beginning of the movie, and he's running up onto the beach and a flashbang goes off. And if there's this big white noise, he has no idea where he is. And I think for a lot of us, if we don't understand our lives through the lens of story, um, that's kind of just where we end up at the end of a week, at the end of a month, end of the year. We really have no context for what has happened. It's just felt like chaos. So to answer your question, I, I myself have to reground myself in the reality that, hey, I am part of a great story that has been taking place long before I came into the world. And so um, obviously that I do that every day through prayer. I have an hour of um, Eucharistic adoration for basically the last eight years of my life. And, but even before that, when I wake up, I literally have to say out loud to myself, the battle continues, the story goes on. Because, yeah, I think, you know, life is brutal. Events after events, the accumulation of, of things and responsibilities in your life, if you have no place to house those pieces of your life, it really is just confusion, and, and there's no, no way to make sense of things. And so I always understand my suffering, my joys, as, as little movie frames taking part in a greater narrative and, and actually housing them in salvation history. And so to, to close, yeah, my answer, I, I just, I have to stay connected to the story of salvation day in and day out. Well, I, I, you, one of the things you talked about was Eucharistic adoration, and that was one of the things that, for me certainly, is just uh, having that time, the silence, and the peace of the Adoration Chapel, because things are just so chaotic. I don't know how mm-hmm. people really do it without a faith life or without trusting God and without that, that time to be in silence and be uh, encounter Christ. And so that was one of the answers I figured you might give this afternoon. Mm-hmm. I did get confirmation too, Tyler, that yes, you were the first employee. Yes. In fact, nice. uh, Donetta said you brought in <laughs> pictures of Mother Angelica for the studio. So 
I did. Yep, I did a couple years ago. <laughs> they're hanging up on the wall right now. So one with uh, Pope John Paul, Pope St. John Paul II, and then one mm-hmm. of her doing her show, I believe, uh, probably on EW10 Live on television. And uh, mm-hmm. so yep. there you go. All right. So we're talking today about where we're at in the greatest story ever told. Kind of recap, we talk about the confusion going on in the world and how important it is to stay grounded. So what role has the story played in your life? Well, I think just in general, what role has, has just story played in my life? You know, I think my earliest experiences of story really came through, through the cinema. You know, I can remember the very first movie I ever watched in theaters. In Oakley, Kansas, it was uh, The Lion King. I think I was like four years old, so I'm dating myself. I actually turned 30 in May, so it's hard to believe. But yeah, so er- early on in my childhood, you know, ages four to 10, it was The Lion King. I remember Val Kilmer uh, playing Batman, George Clooney playing Batman. And, you know, I can remember with having my little Velcro Batman cape running around through the basement, building blanket forts and taking down the enemy. And so, yeah. I think most kids, especially boys, can relate to my experience of running around in a cape because, you know, that's inherent, not only to boys, but but to humans in general. We are wired for story. Um, There's a reason that when we're little kids, yeah, our imagination goes wild and everything's a battle if you're a little boy, right? And so little did I know that when I was a little kid, I was rehearsing my part for for the real story, right? I think something that Satan has done a tremendous job of is making the gospel boring. We're going to get to that a little bit later. But um, I think he's made, made a, done a tremendous job of just getting people bored with the story of salvation and bored with the gospel. But the reality is, <laughs> every great story that we love, in fact, everything that, that we really love, borrows its energy from the gospel narrative, from the salvation history narrative, uh, rather. And so, so, yeah, I mean, you know, from an early age, I can just remember the bad guys and the good guys, and you have to rescue the damsel in distress. And I just remember being so gripped by the Batcave for some reason, you know, and all those Batman movies, just to have a space where you could strategize, you can make plans and then, then rise up uh, and go save Gotham. And so particularly, yeah, I just think my earliest experience of stories came through cinema and, and, you know, even, even for you, Ken, and, and even for, for our listeners, you know, when you look at the stories that really grip you, you know, it's probably because, you know, when you're watching those stories, you're looking for something that explains uh, something of your own story. And so, um, yeah, so that's uh, kind of my, my earliest experience of story. Tyler, let's talk a little bit, uh, maybe briefly speak to the bigger picture, inviting us back into the story of salvation. There we go. Now we get to the big story. Okay, so as I was saying, um, you know, all stories, all movies that we love borrow their energy from the story of salvation history. If you look at any movie, any story you've ever read or watched, it's the same plot recycled over and over and over. And so we're going to briefly walk through the four key acts of every good story. And so I'll just, uh, and and feel free to interrupt me, uh, Ken, if if you need to at any point, but we're just going to briefly walk through the four acts that make up uh, the great story. So act one, right? Uh, Act one of our story. There was simply love in the beginning. That's what existed. It was love. It was the heroic fellowship of the Trinity, right? I think, yeah, when, you know, I mean, I think the last couple of years, I mean, I've really um, come to understand the Trinity in a, in, a, in a more personal way, understanding that all stillness, all adventure, all intimacy, union, rest, freedom, love, etc., really makes up the inner dynamism of the Trinitarian life. So in the beginning, that's all that there was. There was just love. There was just Trinity. There was just Father. There was just Son. 
uh, and then there's just Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, obviously something propelled us into Act 2. And so in every good story, and obviously salvation history, Act 2, we see the entrance of evil, right? Something happened in our ancient past, even before Adam and Eve were created. There was already evil in the story as we come onto the scene. Uh, I think Revelation 12 hints at this when um, Michael and the the angels fought Satan uh, and the other angels, and they were thrown down not to hell, but actually down to the earth to wage war uh, against the woman's offspring, obviously us being the woman's offspring. And so um, Act 2, the entrance of evil, and we can see this, right? I'm reminded of of 9-11. I'll never forget that day waking up, going to fifth grade like any other day. You know, mom made breakfast, and I'm going off to school. And, uh, yeah, as that day unfolded, America woke up, you know, probably peaceful, most families. But as that, as that morning unfolded, evil had entered the store. And as far as we knew it, America was at war. And so we see this in the garden, right? We see, um, you know, the devil, uh, the, the, the prince of lies, the accuser, entering Adam and Eve's story. Uh, the subtle serpent uh, manipulating, twisting, and distorting the goodness of God, the Trinity, and just really tricking us to fend for ourselves, to build a, a life of happiness apart from God. Luckily, uh, stories don't end with the entrance of evil, so that propels us into Act 3, and what propels us into Act 3 is typically a battle ensues. Typically, it's in Act 3 when the protagonist shows up on the scene and wages war against the antagonist. And so we can see here at Christmas time, this is really where, where Act 3 is really unfolding. And so as much as I would love to think as Christmas is a nice, pretty, silent night major scene, I just don't look at it that way anymore. Um, when I look at Christmas, moving into Act 3 of the great story, there's a battle that's underway. And so I'm going to bring up that example of Normandy, the invasion of Normandy again. You know, I lived in New Orleans for a couple of years, and that's actually where all of the Higgins boats for World War II, well, at least the invasion of Normandy were made. And if you can remember, um, in that scene of Saving Private Ryan, um, they're riding up onto the beach, and the front of the hatches drop, and the soldiers run out, and, and they're getting shot, and, and they have to invade enemy-occupied enemy t- territory. So, so let's actually link this to Christmas time now. Who is the Higgins boat carrying the Allied soldiers? Well, it's Mary. Mary is serving as a vessel for the Allied soldier, the God-man, Jesus Christ, to come in behind enemy lines and run up onto the beaches, um, of our chaotic world. And so we see at Christmas time the protagonist, the hero, entering the scene. In a more particular way, uh, Jesus every day is desiring to enter the chaos and the, yeah, the wear and tear of our life and, and to go to bat for us. And so we're in Act 3 right now, and obviously the climax of Act 3 is Jesus on the cross. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, he looks very helpless. He looks very defenseless. He looks like the prey rather than the predator, but uh, the most active part of Jesus's life was when he was on the cross. He was the aggressor. He was the hunter, not the hunted. But what he was doing on the cross as a protagonist in the middle of Act 3 is that he was acting as the ambush predator. So ambush predators are animals in nature that lie very still, and they allow their enemy to come very, very, very close, and they strike at the last minute. And we can see Jesus on the cross actually allowing himself to be swallowed up by death. Once he's swallowed up by death, he pulls the pin of the grenade and explodes out of the tomb on Easter Sunday. And so, and so like now we're living somewhere towards the end of Act 3 because the reality is that Jesus's life, Jesus's death, and Jesus's resurrection has set into motion 
the final chapter of salvation history. And so we are living somewhere near the end of Act 3 right now, um, because there's no further revelation. Jesus is the revelation of God the Father's love. And so Act 4 is the eschaton, right? Most stories that we love end with a happy ending, right? There's typically homecoming, reunion, peace, freedom, joy, and rest. And that's hopefully where, where us uh, as, as Catholics are heading, right? Um, but we do know that there's another possibility, and that we could spend eternity separated from God. And so Act 4 either ends in restoration and redemption, or it ends in damnation and in, in e- eternal suffering apart from anything that's good. And so I think it would do us well to start paying attention to the stories that we love and looking for these gospel messages, these pieces of salvation history, and really taking back up our own role in our own story, not sitting on the sidelines and actually taking up an active role with Jesus in our own story. So uh, just to quickly summarize, Act 1, there was just love. Act 2, we have the entrance of evil. We have the devil. Act 3, a great battle ensues. The protagonist and the antagonist are colliding. Uh, right? And then um, Act 4 is uh, restoration or damnation. And so um, that's that's me kind of briefly speaking into the bigger picture. Um, what are you seeing in recent history in relation to the story of salvation, Tyler? Maybe talk through some uh, maybe key moments that kind of illustrate that chapter we are in right now. So, uh, you know, and we have plenty of time, uh, so take your time and, and share with, with, uh, with our listeners uh, your thoughts on that right now. Oh, you're going to regret saying take your time because I have some stuff to talk about here. So please do feel free to, to, to interrupt me if, if we have some uh, callers or, or something of that nature. But I'm sure. basically going to walk us through right now just some key dates basically in the last 100 years of um, just kind of church history that can kind of illustrate where we're at in the story. So I think before I begin, I think we can realize, if we've been paying attention the last uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years in our church, that the kingdom of darkness has been going bat crazy, absolutely bat crazy. And I think that's because Satan realizes his, his gig's almost up, his time is almost up. And theologically, you know, I just stated, it, what I just stated is true, right, is that um, Jesus' life's death and resurrection has set into motion the last act of salvation history. And so um, there, there has been some aggression from the kingdom of darkness the last 100 years. So I'm going to begin just by kind of illustrating a story that happened just before the turn of the century. Uh, and then we're just going to walk into some key dates. So um, I'm actually going to read a little something that I uh, printed out. So this was uh, at the, I think, like the 1880s. Here's what it says. It says, with a handful of cardinals and Vatican staff members in attendance, Pope Leo had just finished celebrating Mass in the Vatican Chapel. He suddenly stopped at the foot of the altar. His face had turned ashen white, and he remained there standing for about 10 minutes in a trance-like state. Later, when he asked, had been asked what had happened, uh, the Pope said that he was about to leave the altar when he heard two voices up by the tabernacle. One voice was kind and gentle, while the other voice was guttural and grating. He listened to the two voices, which seemed to emanate continually in conversation from the tabernacle, and he overheard this following conversation. The guttural voice of Satan, in his pride, boasted to our Lord, I can destroy your church. The gentle voice of Jesus says, you can, then go ahead and do so. The devil responded, to do so, I need more time and I need more power. Our Lord said, well, how much time, how much power? The devil responds, I need 75 to 100 years 
and the greater power over those who will give themselves over to my service. Jesus concluded, you have the time and you will have the power. Do with them what you will. Immediately after this vision, Pope Leo went from the Vatican Chapel straight up to his private office, and he wrote the prayer to St. Michael, giving with it the instructions that it be prayed after all low masses. And so this was just before the turn of the century for for our listeners. Um, Satan basically claiming, hey, I just need 100 years, Jesus, and I will destroy your church. And Jesus, in his kind of uh, humility, says, okay, I'll give you what you need. Good luck. Um, so I'm going to run through just a couple of, uh, of uh, dates right now. So, so let, let's look at what was happening at the turn of the century. Let, let's start in the year 1916. Uh, Donetta probably knows this fact, but uh, in 1916, the first Planned Parenthood was founded in Brooklyn, New York. And we know that this has been absolutely one of the uh, causes of all of our <laughs> chaos and disaster with gender and, and sexuality and relationships and feminism and masculinity um, now is so 1916, the first Planned Parenthood. What happens the next year, 1917, across the pond? Our Lady of Fatima arrives on the scene, and she had a warning, and she was preparing us for the times ahead. She warned about a modest dress that was going to be introduced that would greatly offend God. She, as she does in every apparition, she stressed the daily rosary. Um, she gave the third vision, or she gave a vision of hell in that third apparition, um, and she said, "This is the place where sinners go who have nobody to pray for them." And in the vision, um, Jacinta said there was too many souls to count that were falling into hell. And she said, Mary said in 1917, "If men do not return and repent, there will be a second war greater than the first." And so, what happens in 1944? Pearl Harbor is bombed in U.S enters the deadliest war in history with nearly 70, 000, or seven, 70 million of people losing their lives. And so I don't want to skip this huge, huge, huge piece of the story in the early 1930s with St. Faustina Kowalska um, over in Poland. And we obviously know about the Diary of St. Faustina and the impact it's had on Divine Mercy Radio and just on our church. And you know, Jesus actually told her in the diary, he said, there's going to be a spark that comes from Poland, St. Faustina. And obviously that sparked the, the message of divine mercy, but not only the message of divine mercy, it was the, uh, the great St. John Paul the Great that would um, come out of Poland as well. So just to recap real quick, we have 1916, Planned Parenthood was established in Brooklyn, New York. We have 1917, Our Lady of Fatima. We have the 1930s, Jesus intervening with St. Faustina and the message of divine mercy. We have 1944, the U.S. enters uh, the deadliest war in history. And so... You know, as I've been looking up these uh, facts and these dates, um, I can't help but, but see the obvious thing Satan is doing here is he is waging a war on relationship. Uh, we can remember John Paul II saying um, that the family is a cell of society, right? And so if you want to take out society, take out the family. Um, he says family is a cell of society. Well, what's the nucleus of the family? It's a sexual act. And so we're going to see here in the next 50 years, as we continue to walk through these dates, there'd be an all-out assault on the sexual act. Um, but not only that, there's a couple other things that you're going to see illustrated that are just wiping out relationships, absolutely wiping out relationships. So I'm going to pause there real quick. Uh, if you need uh, a breather, you need anything, Ken, you got a question, you got, are we good? Do I keep going? We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Tyler Weber on where we are at in the greatest story ever told. Oh, 
we're back on One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Where we are at in the greatest story ever told. With Focus Missionary Tyler Weber. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. We're talking with Tyler Weber uh, that where we are at in the greatest story ever told. And Tyler, you're talking now about some key moments and uh, about the chapter we're, we're in right now, and you're kind of taking us through that history. So go ahead and continue on. Yeah, so we just, uh, you know, as soon as we exit World War II, uh, families are returning to their homes, um, getting married, you know, and then we have the beginning of the baby boomer generation. And so we're going to fast forward to about the mid-1950s right now. There was a piece of technology that got introduced into our culture, which I'm not going to be extreme and say it's intrinsically evil, but uh, that that piece of invention was actually the television. And by 1951, the television had established its place as the most important single form of entertainment and of passing the time, right? And so if you just fast forward 70 years, I I was looking up some studies uh, that that told me that the average American, you know, who lives to be 80 years old, on average, will end up spending 14 years of their life in front of the television. That's how much television we watch. And so you can see what Satan is doing, right? If this is an attack on the family, an attack on relationship, um, just get the family focused off of each other. And so, you know, once again, the television is not the devil. The devil is the devil, but the devil's really used the television. And I mean, we could, we could say right now, smartphones and laptops and social media to just completely sever relationships. And so, yeah, Satan continues his assault on relationship on the family in the 50s by introducing really the, this... Uh, this piece of technology. And then we're going to move forward to 1960 was a huge year. That's when the, uh, the birth control pill was released. And really, this is, this is really where everything went, went haywire. And we can remember the peak of the sexual revolution, mid-1960s. And I'll actually fast forward right now to 1968, kind of in response to this birth control, this sexual revolution, and kind of this, this chaos of what's going on in the bedroom, this kind of new recreational sport that we call sex now, you know, Pope Paul VI unleashed Humane Vitae. Um, And we know the backlash that he got from that, right? Um, He was simply stating church teaching, openness to life, um, unless there's a grave reason. And so there was a lot of backlash when Humane Vitae come out, because it really really was the rules. He didn't necessarily give a total vision on human sexuality. That was to come in the next 20 years with uh, John Paul II. And this actually was the same year, 1968, you know, Woodstock, the peak of the sexual revolution. This same year is when Pope Paul VI, uh, you know, his famous quote, the smoke of Satan has now entered the walls of the church. You know, a fun little fact also is that St. Padre Pio's last letter that he wrote before he died was to Pope Paul VI defending him. And he says, hey, I know what it's like to be persecuted from within your own church. Stay the course. Stay the course and I'm with you. And that was the very last letter that he wrote to Pope Paul VI. And so 1968, the peak of the sexual revolution, it is absolute chaos now. Infidelity is ushered into our culture and uh, big, in a very, very big way. And so we're, we're going to move now to 1976. So 1976, a young Cardinal Carol Wojtyla actually flew to the United States. He landed in Philadelphia. He was going to a Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia. And um, 
when it was actually his chance to speak in Philadelphia at this Congress, what he said <laughs> was absolutely gripping. And so I'm going to read the quote here. Here's what he said in 1976. And remember, he was not Pope yet. This is when he was Cardinal Carol Wojtyla. He says, we are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation that humanity has ever gone through. I don't think that the wide circles of American society or the wide circles of the Christian community realize this. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. And we must be prepared to undergo great trials in the not-too-distant future, trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our own lives. Through your prayers and mine, it's possible to alleviate this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. And he concludes his quote in 1976 at this Congress. He says, how many times has the renewal of the Catholic Church been brought about by blood? It will be no different in the times that we are approaching. And so that was a pretty powerful statement in 1976 from Cardinal Carol Wojtyla, which we know just a couple years later, he became Pope John Paul II. So really, the JP2 generation was absolutely anointed. Um, God has used St. John Paul II in so many, so many ways, but, but in a unique way, in a particular way, to combat this culture of death, this, this new sexual revolution, this breakdown of family, this breakdown of relationship. And kind of his, his two um, kind of monumental works are Love and Responsibility, which is a book that he wrote. And then he gave actually a series of Wednesday audiences for five years of catechetical addresses and uh, the Vatican, and we now know those as the theology of the body, which is now condensed into book form. So he really gave us a vision on relationship, a vision on masculinity and femininity, and a vision on marriage, and directly acted as a protagonist and pushed back against this culture of death that was ushered in really through those first, uh, you know, 80 years leading up to his papacy. So it's pretty cool to see what else the Lord was doing uh, in the 80s. I, I, I would be remiss if I did not speak about Mother Angelica. She has had a massive influence on my life um, and, and many people's lives. And so, yes, with the introduction of television, uh, there's been a lot of distraction that's come into our culture, but also a lot of good things. I think we can see Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen with his prime time uh, spot, but, but also uh, with Mother Angelica. And so we're going to move to the year 1981. She flips the switch in Birmingham, Alabama, and launches the first global Catholic and radio television network. And so, um, yeah, the 80s were really a time that were pretty tumultuous. If you ask a lot of priests who were getting formed in the 80s, there's a lot of stuff going on where, yeah, let's just say that would be questionable to us today, especially as focused missionaries. And so uh, Mother Angelica could really see all of the stuff that was going on. And I tell you what, she was a voice. We know that she had a voice and she could use it. And so um, we're going to fast forward now uh, all the way to 1993 as, we, as, as I close some of these dates. So 1993 was a pivotal year for the American Catholic Church, uh, I think for two reasons. I think for the first reason, that's the year that St. John Paul II came to Denver, Colorado for World Youth Day. And I'm actually going to tell a, a story at the very end right before I get off about that. But it really was up until that point where the American Catholic Church, um, as far as what I've read in George Weigel's biography, Witness to Hope, uh, America was kind of at a standstill. There wasn't a lot of creativity. There wasn't a lot of enthusiasm in the church. And after World Youth Day 1993, it really kick-started a revolution. I mean, and, and you fast forward, you know, 20, 30 years, and we have things like Focus, the Culture Project. We have every lay sort of apostate you can imagine that's sprouting. And these really are the flowers of the new springtime of the Catholic Church that are unfolding. 
So World Youth Day 1993, but, but I think another one that is maybe more hidden in 1993, a key moment, is uh, a young man by the name of Christopher West picks up the text of the Theology of the Body, which up until this point, basically for 20, 25 years, was just not understood by people. And in fact, a cardinal approached John Paul II one time after one of his audiences in, in uh, St. Peter's Square and says, you know, Holy Father, with all due respect, I, I don't think... <laughs> People understand what you're talking about, and the legend has it that John Paul II says, I know they don't understand, because it, it, it's really not for them. It's for the generation after them. And so Christopher West, in 1993, first read all the full text of the Theology of the Body and had a miraculous grace to understand everything. And he said he knew as soon as he finished reading that he would spend the rest of his life unpacking it and melting it down so that we could benefit from the fruits of this teaching on marriage and family and masculinity and femininity and the beauty of celibacy. And I I have to throw one last date in here, um, and this will be my last one as we walk through some of these years. February 2nd, 1997, two young men with brown hair walk on to Mother Angelica Live. Uh, Their names were Curtis Martin and uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, and it was actually February 2nd, 1997, that uh, they improvised on set and first spoke about Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University students. And it was uh, not long after that, Curtis Martin actually got a chance to meet uh, John Paul II and told him about his vision for this new uh, collegiate outreach that he was going to unleash. And uh, John Paul II gave Curtis Martin two words, and those two words were, be soldiers. So that's, you know, me working for Focus. I'll conclude there with my dates. And so that's kind of the mantra that I I run by is like, hey, be soldiers. We are in a very, very pivotal part of salvation history. Um, and, and from that quote in 1976, could be towards the last uh, moments of this this last act of salvation history. Uh, some great information there, Tyler, and it's interesting to just uh, listen and walk through the history and really pretty amazing some of the things that have happened. You know, I've always talked about Humana Vitae as one of those encyclicals that's just amazing to read when you just see how prophetic Pope Paul VI was in that writing in that particular encyclical. Uh, Tyler, moving forward, what do we see as, as key priorities that we need to recover as a church? I think there's a lot of work to be done. People say that the church will get smaller before it begins to grow again, but give us your thoughts there. Yeah, Ken, if we had three more hours, I would go into all that. That was actually uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger in 1969 kind of started that talk about the mustard seed church and it getting smaller. But yeah, I think moving forward, oh my gosh, I think it is very, very simple. I think this is the single key objective, whether you're a mom, a dad, a single person, young, old, priest, clergy, wherever you find yourself, the single key ingredient, the single key most important ingredient moving forward as a church is the interior life. I'm not talking about shallow prayer. I'm not talking about saying our fathers as you're falling asleep. I'm talking about dedicated time, day in and day out, (laughs) directly opening your heart to intimacy with God. Now, it's unfortunate because I think our formation and prayer as a church, um, yeah, I think it's getting better, but I think that was really lost at some point in the last 50 years. Something was amiss. But it really is that interior life. And if if you want to make some parallels between how Satan has attacked the family— right, through just twisting what the sexual act is for, look what he's doing to our relationship with the Trinity. If he wants to destroy the Trinitarian family, which he can't do, but uh, we are invited into the Trinitarian life, what's the nucleus of that family life? What's the nucleus of Tyler Weber, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? The nucleus of that family life, 
right, is the interior life. It's daily prayer. And so just destroy people's prayer lives. And, and you have, yeah, I mean, I, that, that is the single key ingredient, I think, moving forward, is like we have got to recover our sense of prayer and our habit of prayer and intimacy with God. You know, I mean, it's really sad to see um, so many, so many Christians who, who are well-intentioned but could not speak for five minutes about the things of God. We have just lost the interior life. And I think a guy I've really been listening to um, the last couple of years is Cardinal Robert Serra. I mean, his book, The Power of Silence, oh. his most recent one, The Day is Now Far Spent. Just read that guy. I mean, he gets it. It's interesting you brought that up. That was a book, one of my favorite books. I have it with me. I I take it to adoration just um, as a, you know, I, I love it because the paragraphs are short, they're numbered, and, and it just gives you just really mm-hmm. great nuggets on the importance of, of silence. And uh, that's something that we, you know, we really struggle with, all the noise. One of the quotes on the back, and I can't remember, I think it might have uh, might have been from Archbishop Chaput, talks about, you know, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, where Screwtape says that noise is the band of hell. Um, yeah. And it's it's really amazing because we have so much noise in our world. Um, mm-hmm. it, and, I'm, and I'm not just talking about audible noise by any means. I think noise can mean things that really take us away or distract us from from spending time in prayer with with Jesus. And that's one of the key things. Really, and encountering Jesus. I don't know that you mm-hmm. know. Many people will pray the Rosary, and it's a beautiful prayer, and we need to do those things. Mm-hmm. But to really, truly have that encounter with Christ in prayer is something that so many people lack. And we really, I totally agree. Prayer is our foundation. Prayer is the foundation to everything. And if we can establish that relationship and have that encounter with the, the risen Christ, it can change the way we really live our lives and the way things can look for us. So. I'm glad you brought mm-hmm. that up. It's one of my favorite books from from uh, Robert Cardinal Serra is uh, The Power of Silence. What a great book. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I'll just close up with a, with a few final thoughts. You know, I mean, you know, we've been talking about story. We've been talking about salvation history. And, um, yeah, I think now is a time to really rally like you've never rallied before. You know, whether or not we're living in the end times or not, uh, the storm clouds have gathered um, and it is really time to, to raise the flag and to, to get off the couch. I mean, we need to recover our sense of intimacy with Jesus, Ken, like you were just saying. And I think people, you know, it, I'm obsessed with the new uh, series, The Chosen. Um, and it's like, wow, I mean, that that is Jesus. And uh, this is the person who loves me, who knows me, who made my heart. Um, and he's constantly interested in me. I don't know any other human being who's constantly interested in my thoughts and every movement of my heart all day long. Jesus is, and he's very real, and he's only going to become real through, through that sustained prayer life. So, you know, I think to close, you know, I get a lot of questions about, uh, you know, being a focused missionary. I, I just turned 30 years old, and I get the question all the time, what's your seventh year on staff, Tyler? How, how much longer are you going to do this? Well, number one, when the entire world are disciples of Jesus Christ, I will finally be out of a job. <laughs> so there's that. But I think, you know, really looking back, what sustained me um, is obviously the prayer life. But I think my perspective, I think I can see things in a day's time uh, that a lot of other people can't see. I, I really do live with a fourth dimension. And that's really, I live my life under the context of story. I mean, for example, you know, I have a bunch of college kids coming over in two hours. And, and if you just look at that, apart from story, it's just like, well, what do I have in, re- or, you know, in, re- in, in relationship and, and to talk about with 19-year-olds? But, but because I'm living in the great story, I understand that, like, hey, these are the young men and women that, that Jesus wants to raise up at this unique moment in salvation history. 
to get his church back and to get his world back. And so I think really what sustained me so long in focus is like, I understand Tyler Weber is playing part in a great narrative. And I think a blessing that I have, I just never get bored. I, I, I like never, ever get bored with my life. It's, like it's been a, a tremendous grace. But um, I, uh, I want to... Ken, if, if I can have about two, three more minutes, I, I want to... Sh- Actually, Tyler, okay. I wish I could, but we're going to have to okay. we're going to have to break here. Really appreciate you being on again, Tyler Weber, who is a focus missionary at Wichita State University. Tyler, thanks. I hate to cut you off, but but it, we've got to catch mm-hmm. the network at six. So, uh, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. All right, have a great day. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. If you have a comment about today's show, please go to dvmercy.com and click on the One Body icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. Also, if you can help keep great shows like this One Body show on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donations will be very much appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. God's creation.